Welcome back to Bleacher Brawls. We've got another Sunday night slash Monday morning show for you today. Um, I'm Luke. Uh, I'm here with John. Because you're hearing my voice and not Pat's, that obviously means Pat isn't here tonight. That's because he has an appellate court hearing tomorrow morning. He wants to be all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed for that tomorrow. So thoughts and prayers to Pat. What? So wish you luck, buddy, to Pat. Yeah. For his, for hearing. We wish you the best of luck, dude. Like, obviously, we're here for you. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. Uh, it, it, you can only get away with it so many times, but I feel if anybody can, it's you. You are a teacher after all. Uh, I think I think uh, that will go over well with the jury. Um, so uh, we are here. It is the off season. Well, it's not the off season. It's the playoffs. That just means it's the off season for the Red Sox fans and Yankee fans because neither of our teams are still playing ball. But there's still plenty to talk, plenty to talk about uh, in the world of professional baseball. Uh, we just had a playoff series uh, go into the books. Uh, there's a lot of talk about that. A lot of controversial talk about that. I feel like. But uh, as always, let's start with our first pitch. I really want to keep this intro going as long as possible after Joey and John just chose to to ream my in, my intros uh, for when I am hosting. So I kind of want to just filibuster this as long as possible. But I do want people to actually listen. Uh, so, John, uh, let's get your first pitch. How's everything going? Well, clearly it worked because the fact that that intro went under two minutes is incredibly impressive. So uh, we, Joey and I clearly got into your head with our mind games. Um, I'm doing good. Uh, I, funny. So uh, to all the parents out there, my baby is teething. And it's different because my two girls, they both teethed at about a year old or after a year old. They teethed really late. So it, they handled it differently. I've never – I would. Did not know how to expect teething with a, an eight-month-old baby. Um, it's like dealing with a little gremlin. So I today, my day today was dealing with the gremlin. Uh, it was actually fun, you know. Like I, I don't want to discourage people from having children, but uh, it was uh, it was interesting and something uh, I had not experienced with my first two children. It's I I almost don't even remember that honestly because my youngest is five years old. Uh, I've been out of the teething phase for a while, and thankfully so. I do remember it being they're they're up a lot. They're up a lot. They wake up. Their two teeth are hurting. Incidentally, I the, um my last my kid's last uh dental visits. So we're at my oldest was getting her uh was getting her X rays, and we're at a the best dentist we've ever had now because they do they have really high-tech equipment they do the really good x-rays and everything and they do everything top-notch so we got to look at the x-rays in real time as they're taking them and i was astounded i was blown away i had never seen an x-ray of a kid's mouth before but i was blown away by the fact that you can see all of their teeth that they have now the baby teeth and you can see the adult teeth up above the gum line when you're looking at the x-ray. So you're seeing this kid with 32 teeth, and including 12 that you have never seen before, except on this x-ray. And it was just, it just blew my mind because you see these rows of teeth, and then above that, above the top row, you see these other teeth. And it, it like it's like looking at, it's kind of like looking, it feels like you're looking at a monster's x-ray 
Because he's like, what is up with this top row of teeth? This tippity top row of teeth here. Uh, it it just it just when I think about it, it just really kind of astounds me that kids have their twenty teeth that they had their baby teeth, they're going to fall out and that these other teeth are already there. They just haven't worked their way down. Obviously they they're in their they're in their gum line the whole time just waiting to drop down. Um oh, and the bottom ones too, not just the top ones, the bottom ones are below that gum line too. But I just ne- had never thought about the fact that yeah, obviously they grow in. They're not just they don't just appear after after the baby teeth fall, fell out. So that was trippy. That was one of the trippiest things I've ever seen. Was it freaks at- me out looking at those pictures. Like I know exactly what you're talking about. And it absolutely freaked me out. Like with the I, I, I don't handle medical stuff well at all. And even so even that stuff, I was like, wow, that that's that's weird and somewhat unsettling. Good thing you haven't had many medical issues recently yourself. My first pitch is one of woe. Uh, After all my trash talking about my fantasy team starting out 4-0 after I had my first loss of the season last week when I had a whole bunch of guys on by, it turns out two of my best players uh, have gone on IR since then. Uh, Justin Jefferson, potentially the best Fantasy football player in the NFL is on injured reserve. He'll miss at least four weeks. And James Conner, uh, my second best running back, is on injured reserve at well uh, as well. Just in time to play John, who is way up on me right now. So I need, in order to overtake him and win this week, I need to have a huge game from Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen. But I also need a big game from the Cowboys defense. Uh, the problem is they all play Monday night, and their stats run in direct conflict with each other. If Herbert and Allen do well, that means that the Cowboys' defense is not going to do well. So there's no, there's literally, actually not literally no chance, but there's a very small chance that all three of those of those uh, fantasy players, if you will, are going to have big weeks. So it looks like I'm in line for my second straight loss coming up. To the person, and I'm the champ, reigning champion, and I'm playing the guy who was in the toilet bowl last year. Well, then this will be a two-game winning streak because I beat you right before the playoffs last year too. So uh, I just dominate you in fantasy football no matter how bad I am. It's like the Giants have to win one game a season, and you're the team I just keep beating. It's like always beat the Giants always beating the Patriots in the Super Bowl. And ever since you said you might not lose another game for the rest of the season, you have not won a game. That is true. That is true. Injuries are a mofo. Um, and I just read the Giants have had possession of the ball with a lead for the very first time of the season uh, tonight. It just happened. So, uh, you know, cheers to the New York football Giants. Um, other than that, on way uh, up. You, can only, you can only go <laughs> up from here. Other than that. Uh, John and I live in the San Antonio area, so we're uh, a couple of the lucky people that got to really enjoy the uh, total eclipse, not of the heart, but of the sun uh, that happened Saturday at about 11 a.m. I was outside at my uh, daughter's. My daughter's a cheerleader. Uh, she she was finishing up her football her game. She was cheering for the football team football team, and. It happened. It was also, it was another pretty trippy experience. Uh, the moon, you can't, 
I had uh, we all had a set of the sets of the eclipse glasses. We looked up, and yeah, it's weird seeing the uh, the the ring of fire uh, uh, around around the moon, the moon in front of the sun, two perfect circles, but the the ring of fire representing the sun. How how much bigger the sun is than the than the moon from our place in the universe, from our perception. Uh, it got really cold and windy. All of a sudden, it had kind of an Armageddon feel to it, because and it obviously got darker. The shadows were different. I don't know how the shadows were different, but just looking at our at our shadows on the ground, you could just tell it was odd. It was unusual. So that was really kind of fun. I enjoyed that, and we get to enjoy it again in seven months' time because I think this is for the first time in two hundred years. Someone told me this at a bar. So. Obviously, I can't be. That's not, you know, that it's less reliable than Wikipedia. Uh, but I, I, but I was told that for the first time in two hundred years, two total eclipses of the sun are going to be visible from the same spot in the world um, within one year uh, of each other. So uh, that's going to be pretty cool. I'm my mom is in town actually, and uh, my stepdad were in town visiting just a lucky coincidence that they came here and my stepdad is really into photography he was snapping a bunch of pictures the next time they were gonna come visit us was in march but they have after hearing this they've decided to push their visit to april so that they'll be here for the next eclipse as well so uh with that i guess we'll get uh to the agenda now that we're now, 10 minutes into the show. So uh, let's go around the horn and let's figure, let's uh, let's talk about what we came here to talk about. The first thing is what I think has been the biggest talking point since the Division Series ended. As we all know, the Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles, the Atlanta Braves, the Los Angeles Dodgers, they are all out. They were division winners that, uh, re- that earned buys. Uh, in the first playoff round, they did not have to play in the wild card series. And they went on to play teams that won the wild card series and they all lost these division winners, these uh, top, top ranked teams, three of the top four seeded teams in the major league baseball playoffs this season were eliminated in their first round that they played. So obviously mostly fans of those teams, I think have decided that the five day buy the five days off you get by earning a buy is a disadvantage to those teams uh, that they should not have to, quote-unquote, have to take five days off after a grueling 162-game season to play uh, to play these other teams who have been playing the whole time without a break because, I guess, because the bats go cold after you take five days off. Uh, so a lot of people are talking about this. I don't really have any respect for the opinion myself, but first, let's get your opinion on it, John. What, what do you think? Do you think that five days off is actually a disadvantage to the teams that earned a buy? Absolutely not. And I realize in the moment, because the three of the top four teams went down, I can understand why people are making that argument. But like you pointed out, in the rare instance that you and I agree, hundred after a grueling 162-game season, Five days off is only going to do you good. These guys are professionals. It's the playoffs. They're you. You. They don't need extra motivation. They don't need to keep playing, um, to keep momentum going. 
you can take batting practice. You can still do you can still do things to keep yourself game ready and you're only your body's getting rest. So and then you have the ability to start your game one pitcher, whereas these other uh your opposing teams, their bullpens aren't rested like yours are. They're going with whatever rotation, uh, you know, one through three or four, depending how that breaks out, uh, in the postseason uh for the starting rotation. So the teams that get the days off are absolutely in an advantage. And it just so happened this year that three of the four of them fell flat. Um, I think, I guess we're going to get into it later, why that happened. So uh, I guess I'll hold off on those comments for now. But I just, I think it's just, it's coincidence that three of the four teams went down this year. And at the end of the day, it's always going to be a benefit to get five days off. Like you said, I'm in agreement. Well, like I said, too, um, the layoff, I'm not going to deny that the layoff does come at the risk of the bats cooling off a bit. Uh, I can see that everybody at the beginning of the regular season, teams haven't played in months and there it take it usually takes hitters a while uh, to heat up unless you're Alex Verdugo. And then that's the only time you do good is right when the season starts. But the layoff comes at a huge the huge advantage of having five days off to to line up your pitching rotation exactly how you want it starting pitchers are burned out at the end of the season look at all of the elbow and shoulder injuries that have been happening this year alone but wasn't not just this year uh really for the past several years because pitchers are throwing so hard and lining up your one and two starting pitchers to pitching game one and game two of a five-game series also means that if the series goes five games, you got your your ace to start game five as well. You you could not be in a better position than having all of your pitchers on normal rest or just even longer rest than usual. That is the key to winning in the playoffs, I feel like, having the better starting pitching. And if if you have the opportunity to do that, that far outweigh that more than outweighs the advantage of that more than outweighs any disadvantage of the bats cool, cooling off. But look, lining them up, lining them up isn't it, it's not like you line them up, you line up your pitching and you're automatically there. Those aces, your top pitchers, they got to do their job. And they didn't do that in this round, this uh, the the division series. Um, Clayton Kershaw and Max Freed, if you're, they're bad postseason pitchers. Max Freed his his career postseason ERA is like four point three seven, I think. I had it up here a second ago. Um, his career postseason ERA is four point five seven. That's not terrible. That's that's not bad. But the last two years, it's been awful. He's only pitched in two games. Uh, you know, one game this year, one game last year in the playoffs. And there's a reason for that. He got shelled. He didn't. He got knocked around in each of those games. Didn't do his job. Um, Bradish Kyle. It's not Kyle. Is it Ryan Bradish? I can't remember the guy's name. Bradish, uh, the pitcher on the Orioles, the Orioles ace, who will probably get some Cy Young votes. He didn't do terrible in the one game he started as the Orioles got swept. But he's got no experience. He didn't do well. He gave up seven hits in less than five innings. He, he's got no experience. So it's 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 not the layoff. 
It's that you need your starting pitchers to do well. If you if you don't have good starting pitching, 99% chance your team is going to fall flat on their face in the playoffs. And none of those guys pitched well. Kershaw, Freed, and Bradish, the aces of each of those teams that got knocked out in the division series, did not pitch well. And I think you need to look no further than that. Um, and why weren't the Houston Astros affected by this layoff? Uh, the first pitch of their division series against the Twins. Altuve hit it out of the park. I don't know if it was the first pitch. I know he was the first batter. It may not have been the first pitch, but he led off the division series with a home run. And uh, Alvarez, did did Jordan Alvarez hit two home runs in that game? It's not the layoff. I mean, the Astros obviously have a lot more experience in the playoffs than these other teams, but it's, it. I mean, you got to get ready. You know, what are these guys flying home during that five-day off break, uh, that five-day break? No, I mean, no. Go to the place where you're going to be playing. The Well, you're at home. You're at home anyway, so that's a silly way to say it. But, yeah, go home, see your family and stuff. But every day, come to the park, have a simulated game. Play six, seven innings against your, your teammates to keep fresh so that you are playing. I don't know what the, how these guys were preparing for that, but it shouldn't have been a complete layoff. They should have been keeping themselves sharp um, in whatever way. How do you, How do you feel about that? Well, as far as the first at-bat of the Astros postseason, as far as Senor Alvaro doesn't want to hear it, I think we all know why Jose Altuve was able to hit a home run. In all likelihood, he kind of knew a pitch was coming. Um, but, I, yeah, I I hate to agree with you, but it, that's what it is. It's that they should be playing simulated games, They and they should be doing whatever they can to keep fresh. And I know – that was like this has come up with the Yankees uh, because the Yankees fans will make use this excuse when the Yankees get burned after a layoff uh, going into the postseason and the rare div- chance that they're a top two seed. Um, but I do know that the Yankees do that where everyone still shows up to the ballpark every day. They play simulated games. They're taking batting practice. You're doing things to keep yourself fresh. And teams are smart enough to know that. And I don't believe that any team it wouldn't be doing something. We just say, okay, go home for five days. Don't even think about picking up a bat. No one's doing that. And you're right. There's, uh, you know, there's reasons why these teams didn't uh, win their series. You know, the Baltimore Orioles are a young team, uh, so uh, it's their first foray into the postseason. I kind of didn't expect it to go well for them anyway. I didn't expect them to get swept, but I expected it to go better. And uh, you're right. I mean, with the Dodgers, like, dude, it's other than 2020, which everyone kind of just brushes off anyway. This has been a team of postseason failure after postseason failure. So why are we surprised that they lost? Uh, the Braves, that is a little bit surprising, but Philly is uh, looks really good right now. So, you know, one team has to lose. Uh, end of the day, like, it, like you said, um, you're lining up your starting pitching. You're giving your bullpen a break. It's an advantage. And, you know, next year we could probably see the opposite where three of the top four seeded team, you know, the top four teams will end up advancing into the next round. And uh, to revisit something I touched on at the beginning when we started talking about this, um, I, I mentioned the the injuries, all the elbow injuries, the shoulder injuries that have been happening to starting pitchers, uh, and I'll say it again, the last few years, not just this year, I heard uh, on the midweek show, you and Joey agreeing that the pitch clock 
is a big uh, is a big issue, a big reason why all these injuries are happening. Even though the pitch clock has been around for a season, it's the first season. And yes, is that the first season where this many uh, Tommy John surgeries to top pitchers have been needed? All these guys blowing out their UCLs? Uh, probably. I'm guessing there's more this season than ever before. But I think that's a bit of a coincidence because as time goes on, every year these guys are throwing harder. And so I, I don't see how you can, I mean, Joey was saying like, yo, the, the, the ligament doesn't recover. It doesn't have enough time to recover. I don't see how that extra five to 10 to maybe 15 seconds that if you're like David Price or someone who really takes their time on the mound, how that is going to save your UCL from getting blown out. And I don't understand that. And I, I really, I couldn't disagree with both of you more on that. You really think this is a pitch clock issue? No, I know. I'm not, well, not 100%. I do think there could potentially be a correlation, especially with the older pitchers. Like, I know, like, for instance, Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer both kind of, I don't know if they spoke out against it or if it was just the Mets beat writers, but there was a whole thing where this year their performance was down. And a lot of the thought behind that being that they're a bit older and their arms weren't recovering quick enough for because of the pitch clock. I So I do think there could potentially be a correlation with that. I agree with Joey uh, to an extent that, yes, I think the pitch clock and just pitchers having to adjust on the fly, I think there could be some level of correlation. It's not – a hundred percent or like, I don't think it's affects everybody the same either. And I do think if they were to do the pitch clock, they should have started at like a minute and then, you know, every season kind of slowed it down, you know, reduced it until you got the 30 seconds, just more in the mind for the older pitchers. And as time goes on, I think everyone's going to adapt to the pitch clock. It's just going to become kind of a thing, but for the older pitchers with older arms, yes, I can see how it would, there could potentially be a correlation. So I'm not writing it off. I think there is a possibility. Yeah, I don't really give any credence to it at all. I think these guys, I mean, I think in high school, college, growing up, these guys were probably pitching pretty fast, even faster than they are this season with the pitch clock. Um, Oh, oh, we got a home run. Two nothing Rangers. In game one of the uh, ALCS. Uh, who is this? Who just went deep? Let me see. Uh, Leody Tavares. He probably has less home runs than anybody on that team. Uh, just hit one of the right field bleachers off Justin Verlander. 2 nothing Rangers in game one. So everybody outside of Houston is you know happy to hear that. Cheering on the Rangers. Go Rangers this year. Uh, everyone wants to see a Rangers-Diamondbacks World Series this year. Uh, except Major League Baseball. Because very few people will watch it other than hardcore baseball fans. Um, I'm rooting for the Phillies. Yeah. I mean... We can get into that later, but yeah. They were just there last year. Um, Yeah, but I want to be able to say Dave Dombrowski won another World (laughs) Series and Bloom lost his job. (laughs) Because that means Dombrowski did great with the Red Sox, I guess. Speaking of which, perfect transition. Nicely done, John. Uh, the Red Sox executive search are I have not started out, it has not started out well. Um, uh, Sean McAdam and Chris Cotillo, uh, dependable beat writers, 
there are probably like four, maybe three and a half dependable Red Sox beat writers in the entire region. Uh, but McAdam and Cotillo are two of them. Um, and according to them, none of the top choices for the Red Sox want the job. People are even are either declining interviews or just removing their names from consideration uh, outright. Uh, they they don't they don't want the job. They they have noticed the turnover that's happened. That with uh, the Red Sox running through three executives since 2011, so that's at a rate of every four years they're changing general managers. Well, Heimblum was the chief baseball oper- um, officer. Dave Dombrowski was the president of baseball operations. But you all know what I mean. The GM role, the 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 head decision-maker role in the front office. And uh appears that uh, the lack of stability, the erraticness of Fenway Sports Group ownership, uh, John Henry and Tom Werner, is uh, making people a bit skittish at the idea of uh, be it, taking that job for the Red Sox. And uh, my thoughts on that are, it serves Fenway Sports Group right. Uh, the turnover has been ridiculous. Um, and... It seems like they're trying to sell themselves. Sam Kennedy was asked about this at the last uh, Red Sox press conference, and he, he he was basically saying, "Well, no, this is if if you want to be a general manager in Major League Baseball, this is where you want to be. This is Boston." He was just pretty much saying, hey, "It's the Red Sox. Who wouldn't want it?" As if that's all that there is to the equation. But no, if you are um, one of the shining stars. In as uh, one shining star baseball executives, are is this position really gonna look like the best possible position for you? Are you gonna be a little squeamish at the idea of working for these guys who just seem to be willing to throw you under the bus as soon as anything goes wrong? Um, no, is it a great, is it an attractive position considering? The situation the team is in, sure, absolutely. They are. I mean, the the Red Sox are. They have a lot of money to spend. Their farm system is set up so that they're not. They they have a lot of. They have the potential of, of being able to fill the roster as people leave with other talented players. Um, and they are. Um, they look like they are primed to do really well. They have a good roster of talent. As I've said for months now, they're two pitcher, they're two starting pitchers away from being a really good team that can compete in, for for a world championship. Uh, but look what happened to the last two guys. Dave Dombrowski was hired to spend a lot of money and win a World Series. He did that, and they fired him because he only did that and he didn't build the farm system. They hired Heim Bloom to build up the farm system at the cost of at the expense of winning now because. That was what was more important. Heimblum did that, but they fired him for not winning right now. Uh, basically, the way the wind blows, uh, the, the 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 team is so PR conscious, PR anxious. As soon as the fans get mad, uh, Henry and Werner look at each other and shrug and say, all right, let's get rid of this guy now. And they, they make them the scapegoat and say, hey, you know, we hear you. We feel the same way. I don't know what this guy was doing this whole time. Let's fire him and move on from somebody else. The big problem I have is that they are, they're basically see their GM position as like a project manager role as like a temp 
a temp contractor role. Like, hey, like, like, like they're hiring him like they would hire a builder to build a house. Like, hey, here's something we want you to do. So do it. And then they do it. And they say, all right, we don't need him anymore. Now we want to hire somebody to build something else. And that's not how you go about hiring a GM. They need to hire a guy that they trust to spend on a good team that's ready to win and keep the farm system in order. Not just pick a guy that can do one of those two things. Or girl, Kim Eng. Not, you know, nothing but love for you. You don't pick a GM the way you pick a painter or a builder or a project manager. You pick a GM to steer your franchise regardless of the current landscape uh, of the of the team. And you hire a guy that can hopefully adjust accordingly depending on what the role dictates, what the state of the team dictates that you should do in that role. So now that I have said my piece, uh, Joey has decided to do a little run-in here um he he wasn't here he wasn't in his dorm room on time to come out when his entrance music played so he basically came in to run in and hit john in the head with a chair so uh good timing joey how do you feel about the red sox executive search issues i assume you're somewhat aware with the about the issues they were having i can recap it if you if you aren't familiar something tells me joey's gonna be hitting you with the chair but let's go I heard somebody was defending Hein Bloom. So then, you know, I got a call. I got a call from John. Luke's defending Hein Bloom. So they 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 needed a little protection. So I I came in here to stop that. No, um, I I actually know I agree with Luke. I think I've said the same thing about the Red Sox being two or three starting pitchers away from being a serious team, which is a lot. I mean, it's a lot. I mean, that, that's a serious uh, financial commitment, but. I don't know. I think there's been real reasons why every GM has been fired. Um, Heimblum was fired, obviously, because he was a disaster. Three last place finishes in four years. I mean, how how could you abide by that, right? No, no sane owner would allow that to continue. Dombrowski, I think, was more of a uh, a mutual agreement between the ownership and Dombrowski. I think Dombrowski wanted to go in a certain direction creatively and strategically. Ownership didn't. They couldn't agree on the direction of the team, so he, they parted ways. And then, you know, Theo, for all the praise we give him, had some really bad signings at the end. And the same thing with Sherrington. So, they, you know, there's been reasons for all of the GMs leaving. I, I don't think it's just been, a, 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 you know, the meat grinder. But, no, I totally agree. Look, there's almost there's no job stability in being Yankee. I mean, in being Red Sox GM. You know, it's like the exact opposite of the Yankees. Uh, Cashman's been there 25 years. He'll never leave. He could He could do anything. The guy will never be fired. But for the Red Sox, you know, four years is a very, you know, it's about the standard tenure. And these guys, they want job security. If they're going to move their family, they're going to uproot themselves. They're going to try to build a winner. They don't want to be, have their heads cut off halfway through building that winner, right? Which is kind of what we did with, uh, with Sherrington's team. Um, It's kind of what we did with a lot of other guys or with the, with, you know, what a lot of teams do with GMs is their credit gets kind of halved. Once they get fired, the team gets dissatisfied, and then their vision comes comes to comes true. So yeah, uh, I can see why it's so difficult. Hopefully, the right man for the job is out there. And also, it's the Alex Cora stuff. It's totally the Alex Cora stuff. These guys want their own management. They want their own coaches. They don't want to be sallied with the the guy, the coach from two GMs ago, right? They want to be able to pick their GM, their coach, which I think makes sense, but it's not going to happen. 
I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that they want to pick their own. They necessarily they need to pick their own manager. I think Alex Cora is respected enough across baseball. Everyone knows he's a good manager, and that he's one of the better managers in the league. I think the okay, Alex Cora whatever. issue is that he's made it known that he he has said, "I quote, I I'm, I don't want to be a manager forever." I don't want to be a manager for 20 more years. I, I I aspire to be in the front office. I would like to be the GM of a team someday. And everyone knows that Henry and Warner love this dude. I love him too. I love him too as a manager. But I, that who wants to be hired as the general man in the general manager position, uh, knowing that this 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 darling. There's this the, the the Fenway Sports Group's darling is on the field managing, and that he has aspirations of moving up whenever he gets dis, uh, tired of grows tired of being a manager. Uh, that I feel like that is the issue, the Alex Cora issue that McAdam and Catillo were uh, were uh, hinting at, um, because they're they're changing out the the coaches, they're ch- making a lot of changes in the coaching staff, but. Core is still there for a reason, and Core has made it known he wants to be a general manager someday. And these guys love Core; they hired him right back after he did a year for cheating. And so, I, I think I think that's the issue, and that's a, a real issue too. Like, who would want to be in that? Who would want to take a job knowing that there's already an incumbent person below you that is going to be maybe looking to stab you in the back at some point and taking your job? Well, there's also an authority and hierarchy problem if. Core goes to ownership about something, they're going to take his side, or at least that's what we think might happen. So, you know, this GM isn't just going to be dealing with managing managing his own affairs. He's going to have potentially a, a rebellious manager who might question his decisions publicly, who might question his decisions to ownership and go over his head. And that's really not a good prospect. So um, when you, you collect this stuff up, you have a four or five year lifespan. You're not going to be fully in charge. And you're not going to be able to make the full uh, full decisions. You're not going to be able to do a full reset on the team staff. Because, I mean, there's also front office staff that have been there for 20 years that maybe need to be changed out, right? I don't, I'm not saying they do, but if it makes sense to fire your GM every four years, then maybe if there's a guy that's been, you know, two or three, four in the, ranking in the, in, in the system, um, in the front office, maybe he shouldn't be there for 25 years. Maybe you need to change the scenery there. I don't know. But it sounds like... They want to plug a guy in to just follow the program when most of the GMs want to create their own program. And Cora's even said that he's going to be involved in the GM search. So just think about how screwy that is. Like, can you imagine being interviewed for a position and one of your subservients is in potential subservience is in there hiring you, asking questions, like trying to get their opinion of you and then giving their input to the, the people who are going to be both of your bosses and yeah, like, telling like them how they feel. Yeah, interviewed me for this job. <laughs> he did, actually. He, he, he inter- we interviewed with – we had a long talk with Derek before inviting you on today. And you know what he said? He said, I don't know if I'd trust him, man. He's probably going to show up late. And look what happened. <laughs> John, any what, what, what are your thoughts on the Red Sox GM uh, circus? I'm sure you're enjoying it. I really am, and I was the first one to call this uh, on our first recording after Heim Bloom got canned. I said this to you and Pat that with all the upheaval in Boston, how gentlemen, you know, Dombrowski wins the World Series, gets fired, 
uh, Bloom kind of does what he's supposed to do and gets fired, that it would, might maybe it's not going to be an attractive job to someone that has some stability. Like if you're looking to bring in someone from Baltimore, maybe it's not uh, uh, an attractive job. So I was the one that I called it first. And you and Pat just looked at me and didn't want to say anything because you knew I was right. Uh, here's my thing, though. Because I just have to dump on Heim Bloom. Why not? Uh, if the Red Sox really were just two moves away, you would think you'd be a very, very attractive job. Like, even despite ownership firing you because the fans turn on you, like, that's still an attractive job because you're a general manager you're looking at a team that's two moves away. You're like, well, I can fix that. You know, that's, that's something I can do. I'll win a World Series and I'll look great. Uh, if the farm system were as good as you think it is, Luke, as much as Derek thinks it is, and wouldn't this be a much, much more attractive job? Because if you're, if this farm system is like a, you know, a top 10 farm system, like some of you guys think it is some of you, not all of you, Joey, I don't want to put you in there. If the farm system really were a top 10 farm system, any GM is going to want to come in and take this job because they're going to either look at these guys like I have a bunch of major league ready prospects within a year or two, or I have a bunch of tradable uh, assets over the next over a short period of time as I build this team within the next season or two. So the fact that no one's really jumping at that, if either of those things were true, you think someone would be looking to jump at that and they're not. So to me, that gives me a little bit of uh, confidence that the Red Sox aren't in a good situation, that Bloom really didn't do a very good job, like I've been saying he hadn't done. Um, so I see those things, the fact, I understand there being hesitance for someone taking this job. If you're established, if you're the general manager of the Baltimore Orioles, whoever that guy is, you're not going to want to jump to the Red Sox. If you're David Stern, or Stearns, whatever that guy's name is, from Milwaukee that just went to the Mets, yeah, you might not want to go to the Red Sox. But if you're someone who's not established, who's still looking to make a name, you're willing, you're going to want to take that chance. There's only, you know, 32, 32 of these jobs, right? There's 32 Major League Baseball teams, 31, no, 30. I'm thinking NFL, sorry. 30 Major League Baseball, yeah, whatever. Point being, 30, uh, 30 of these jobs. If you're someone who hasn't had a chance to establish yourself, you're going to take that gamble on an ownership that might fire you in a short period of time. If you really see this team as having being two moves away and having a really good farm system. So I'm going to throw that back to you guys, Joey first, because I know how Luke feels about this farm system, but Joey uh, thoughts on the farm, like everything I said about the farm system. What do you think? I really don't want to dump on the farm system because I mean, I I really would love to drink the Kool-Aid on it, but I mean, I think John's right in the fact that our, our farm system is pretty much a lot of middle infielders, that's where a lot of the quality is. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a diverse farm system. We don't have a lot of pitching talent, and a lot of our talent seems to be role blocking each other. We've, we've kind of drafted a lot of the same guy, um, and it's. I think on the hitting side, we're doing very well all around on the hitting side. But yeah, I mean, John's right. We don't have we don't have pitching talent, and it doesn't look like we can develop anymore. And Bayo hasn't really entirely worked out. He's kind of worked out. So, yeah, I don't know if you can – I mean, compared to the other teams, I would probably say we are a top-10 farm system, but we don't have talent everywhere. We don't have talent everywhere to plug in and play. We're not capable of losing a few guys in the rotation and bringing some up from Pawtucket and having them work. It's just, it's just not the way it is right now. Do we have talent? Yeah, we have great hitters, I think, but there's not a lot on the other side of the ball. 
it's true that they don't have they they have barely any pitching uh, talent, top rated talent uh, in the system. But I mean, they're a top ten. A lot of the, the reputable, uh, uh, whatever you call it, outlets have them ranked in the top five. I mean, that's really not really up for debate that they're a top rated farm system. And the the I mean, they but, but yeah, they don't have to have them as fifteen. It is up for debate. What? There's other isn't there in Major League Baseball? We had this argument on the group chat a while back, and I don't know who it was, but someone had them ranked at like 15. So one person, yeah, yeah, it was one it was somebody Joey. Someone else, it was some college kid. It was some 20 year old that Joey saw on Twitter said, "I have the Red Sox rated 16th," and I I, I looked at his That's profile. College and- kid. It said like class of 2018, like high school class of 2018 on his profile. Like this guy doesn't know anything. I mean, Baseball America has them in the top five. Uh, most of the no, reputable there ones. Are, have there is a publication 10. or two that has them outside of the top ten. I've, I mean, I've seen that. There might be one. I mean, if you look at the aggregate of all of them, it's, it's like really- the guy. It's the guy's name. I don't remember his name now, but there's a guy who's like known for doing his rankings, and he he keeps leaving the Red Sox out of the top ten. People getting mad about that. I mean, look, I agree. We're a talented system, but there is a – it's not well-rounded. Yeah, I see what you're saying. A lot of them are shortstops, second basemen. But, I mean, a lot of teams nowadays, they just draft shortstops because if you can play shortstop, you can move to right field. You can move to third base. You can move to center field uh, really Oh, look easy, who suddenly – no, 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 no. We are skimming over something because every time for the past two years, you're like, oh, the Yankees, all they have is shortstops. The Yankees just draft shortstops. Oh, the Yankees are nothing but a shortstop. And now suddenly, that suddenly that's a smart <laughs> I thing. I think right? that was Yeah, me. that's definitely you. That's definitely you. All right. No, no. No, that's good. Thank you. Thank you. I feel justified. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, anyway, so – that's that's the outlook on that. They will get a GM sooner or later, but like John said, it probably will be a young guy who is not that established. Um, I'm Sam Fold from the Phillies uh, looks like a potential candidate, but I don't know if he was one of the ones who who said who said no dice. I love um, that Luke wants Sam Fold because he literally wants like the Dombrowski product protege. He wants Dombrowski back so bad. And he just well, what do they need right him. now? You want you want like his mini me. You want his mini me, mini me. You miss you miss you miss Dave Dombrowski. Admit it, Luke. You miss it. No, not at all. I want somebody who can. I like I said before, you signed on. I want somebody who can do all of the things, not just one of the things. I want somebody who can handle every whatever comes up in that job. I don't know, but I mean, Sam. Full, I'm, what do they need right now? They need two really good starting pitchers. So Sam Fold uh, learned how to write a check from Dave Dombrowski. His signature probably looks sweet on those checks. He knows he, he's he's skilled at offering that extra digit uh, on the right side of the uh, on the right side of the check, but to the left of the decimal point. Um, so. All right, let's move on to something else I want to talk about, which is we talked at the beginning before Joey came on about uh, the disappointments, uh, the disappointing teams in this division series, uh, specifically the Orioles and the uh, Dodgers and the, um, whoops, who was the other one? The Braves, that's right. Um, And uh, so I, I just thought it'd be a good idea each of us to take our own stab at Picking who their the biggest disappointment was out of those teams with the bye uh, that didn't get it done against the lower-ranked teams that didn't have home field advantage in the division series. 
So, Joey, let's get your minutes in since, since you, you, you missed the beginning of the show. Uh, who was your biggest disappointment of the, the division series this year? Well, I, I do like that I was kind of confirmed in my support of the Rangers, you know, uh, at the beginning of the season. But, but besides that, um, I think the Braves, I think the Braves totally losing to the Phillies. I think that was probably the worst disappointment. But, you know, who knows? People really can't stand up to the power of Dave Dombrowski these days. The the, the absolute, the, the, the animalistic winning urge that he has, you know, it, it, it beats all things. And when he when he's lifting the World Series trophy, to, you know, this year and, and Luke has a conniption fit and, and John has to go and, and calm him down, you know, fan him, get him some water, you know, so he can resuscitate i just want i want luke to remember that we could have had that we could be winning right now if we were willing to to spend money and and not lose not get last place for three seasons but go ahead yes because chris sale would be throwing pitching 32 games a year if dave dombrowski was still the general manager and david price would have had a couple more good seasons at the mlb level Walk it, and Nathan, Walk it off. Nathan Evaldi wouldn't have been hurt in 2022. Dude, what are you criticizing Evaldi? He's had a he had a great season. He's pitching right now in the playoffs. He's having He's a great right now season. in the playoffs. How good would he have done for us this year in the stretch in August and September when the Red Sox were falling apart? How much would he have helped? What about the other stretches where we were we were falling apart the whole season, Luke? It wasn't just I mean, right. But the issue. What was the issue? How much with the would pitching he have helped staff? in April and May when he was pitching fantastic for the Rangers? But what was the issue during the stretch? It was the pitching staff. Nobody was staying healthy. So Evaldi would have really helped that by being on the team and not being help healthy. Well, he would have like been healthy early pitchers. in the season like he was early in the season. He would have been healthy late in the season. If he missed a couple of schemes in the middle of the season, that's what all starting pitchers do nowadays. How many games does he want? Like, what, like 12? Something like I that? Like 15. I think like 15, Luke. He put so, up a great season. He so had how many, how many more starts did he have? Like, how many starts did he have? 25. Avaldi had yeah, 25 starts. All right. How many starts did anybody on the Red Sox have? How? Where would that have ranked on the Red Sox as far as starts? I mean, who won the Red Sox with 32 starts this season? Second or third? So who had more starts? Be- Bayo had 28 starts. So he would have been second on the Red Sox. So he would have been better than... Crawford, Halk, Sale, and Pat. Okay, so look at his and game definitely log. Definitely Kluber. Definitely Kluber. Definitely Kluber. Definitely Kluber. Definitely Kluber. Uh, look at those game logs. At least five of those at the end of the season were were four innings or less because they were just you know. Okay, John, how many innings did Evaldi pitch? How, how Evaldi, many innings? Evaldi did like one hundred forty-four. Right? But later in the season, it makes sense because you don't want to overwork him because you want him to be fresh for the playoffs. So if I'm the Rangers, I would actually think that that was a smart move to keep his innings down going into the postseason. Right, but if he was innings, is, I mean that's a legitimate. Nowadays, but if he was on the Red Sox, they wouldn't have been in that position where they could just lose and lose and lose for How a month. How many guys pitched that many innings, John? I don't think I don't think a lot. One hundred forty-four. Let's see the Red Sox. Yeah, he would have been second on innings pitch. Pavetta, mm. Pavetta had 142, so it would have been close. But, yeah, he would have been second Makes with sense. Bayo being 157. It's what a slacker. Didn't, so we didn't need him. We didn't need him, John. We didn't need Bayo him. in his rookie season that Joey found to be so disappointing for reasons unknown to man. It was Pat that did that whole thing on it. I'm just saying, it, I mean, he pitched to a four and a half. I mean, you can't call it successful. And, by the way, the Texas Rangers – 
are a team very much like the Red Sox. They're they are they have no homegrown. Well, they have. Do they have any homegrown starters? I don't think Dunning was their product. They got all their starting pitchers from elsewhere, but they grew most of their their talent, offensive talent, um, like from Seager their and Simeon from their minor league system. Yeah, those like are the only two. two best hitters, Seager and Simeon. Yeah, they're they're uh, they're from. Do you know who system. Adelise Garcia is? Do you, do you know who Josh Young is? Like. These are, I don't know. They, I'm, I'm just thinking about the MVP candidate, Corey Seager. I think I think he probably should come up. Yeah, Seager's, Seager's been great. <laughs> but yeah, there's a it, that's how last. Go what? ahead, Luke. You make your point. You make your point. But no, like that's a team. They got all. They got most of their lineup. Just about all of their lineup is homegrown from their system. They spent all their money on their starting pitching, and they're in the ALCS. So. It can be done. Yes, the Red Sox haven't been able to develop starting pitching, but you can still build a team like that. If you're saving a lot of money on your the guys that are in your lineup, then you can spend that money on your rotation. You have to spend the money, though. You can't be 13th or whatever. Why would you payroll. even say that, Luke, when they have Seager and Simeon both under massive contracts? In this because, Joey, in a lineup, I mean, there's, there's nine guys in a lineup. Because there's nine guys in a lineup, not two. Nine. Nine, and there's seven of them. I'm almost positive there's seven of them that are products of the Rangers system. So, but um, let's get back the, to John. Wait, your biggest disappointment. The Rangers, my biggest disappointment. I'll get into that in one second. The Rangers, for, for what they did this season, they just kept acquiring starting pitching. Look how many starting pitchers made. I mean, Scherzer, eight starts. Bradford, eight starts. You forget they got DeGrom in a huge contract, six starts. And then they had Dunning or Dooning, whatever, Gray, Henning, Evaldi. They acquired Jordan Montgomery. That was the team that just went out and just kept acquiring starting pitching. Like, they had a really good lineup and just kept acquiring the best starting pitching they could possibly acquire throughout the season, which is something Joey was saying Bloom should do with the Red Sox lineup. So the fact that you compare the – Rangers lineup to the Red Sox lineup. The Rangers did what they sh- what Bloom should have done, which is keep going getting no they whatever didn't. starting they pitching didn't. you could acquire. They got Scherzer and Montgomery mid season. Degrom, they got it was Scherzer. Stupid. It was stupid to get Degrom. It was yes, stupid. And to that's get just Scherzer. as stupid it was to get Kluber. But they got Scherzer for the playoff run, right? Is Scherzer healthy right now, or is he not playing? I don't. He's healthy now, but he missed. He I think he pitched two games for the Rangers before he got hurt. So you can they go got up. Heaney too. They got a Heaney, Avaldi. I mean, they got a lot of guys. Scherzer pitched yeah. eight games for the Rangers. And Avaldi missed a ton of time. DeGrom has barely pitched. And Scherzer got hurt immediately after they come. I, yeah, I said the Red Sox, they need to spend their money on starting pitching, but they need to make good moves. They need oh, to I mean, I spend money. Hold on, money don't interrupt. Wolf. But they need to spend they need to spend money wisely and not get these injury concerns that are gonna bite you in the ass, like liable to bite you in the ass right when you need them. DeGrom barely pitched. Scherzer has barely pitched for them. And Avaldi, again, because he always does, got hurt and missed a long stretch of time. That's okay. so they had Scherzer, to keep getting they had to keep Scherzer made eight pitchers. starts and Montgomery made eleven starts. The Red Sox couldn't have acquired Jordan Montgomery. That's a whole different argument that we've already had a couple times. And Jordan Montgomery was not going to turn the Red Sox around in August. Um, so okay, who's so your biggest d- division series? My biggest series disappointment. disappointment. Yeah, okay. Sorry. So 
my biggest disappointment, I'm gonna actually I'm gonna go with the Dodgers because this is a team that, you know, whatever, 2020 nobody cares about. This is a team that's in the playoffs every year, is expected to win the World Series every year, considered a World Series favorite every year, and then fails every year. Uh, they're basically the National League's version of the Yankees at this point. A team that's going to spend a ton of money. Like, for a while, they're, they're getting praise for the way they develop prospects in this great farm system. And, they, oh, look at them. They make all these smart trades, but it's never, ever paid off. So much like the Yankees, the Dodgers have consistently come up short over a long period of time. So to me, it's the Dodgers. And the fact that they lost to a six-seeded team, if the Yankees did that, I'd absolutely be killing the Yankees. Um, you know, of course, the Yankees didn't even make the playoffs, so I'm killing them even more. But losing to a six-seeded team, especially who you are at the Dodgers, a division rival nonetheless, uh, I think it's a massive failure for the Dodgers. Is This is just a team that at some point should have won a World Series outside of 2020 and didn't. So I think the it's a fair comparison to say that the Dodgers have, are basically the National League's version of the Yankees. I got the Dodgers as well. Uh, they still only have one fake title since 1988. That's a 35-year period between actual World Series championships. Um, and now they have the monkey on their back and accusations coming from more everywhere of them not having the mentality to win because that's what this is. This is not a question of, you know, oh, look, their system, everyone thought their system was so good, but it hasn't been able to get it done. No, no, no. All you can do as a front office is put together a team that can win, that can get into the playoffs, and that can succeed in the playoffs. The Dodgers have done well in the playoffs over and over. How many times have they been in the World Series? How many times have they been in the NLCS just since 2017? If your team, what did they win, 111 games last season? If you can put together a team that can win 111 games, then you've put together a team that's good enough to win the World Series. I'm sorry. Um, this team has been good enough to win every single year since 2017. The players have to be held responsible at some point, and I think that's what, we have here Clayton Kershaw and Mookie Betts are playoff chokers. They did well in 2020. I don't even know if Kershaw did well in 2020. I wasn't watching just like because I'm a person and no persons were watching in 2020 because everybody knew it was BS. It didn't matter. Uh, Kershaw is one of the worst postseason pitchers in history in comparison to how well he's been in the regular season. And Mookie Betts sucked in the playoffs even when he was in Boston. Uh, it took him like like. 80 at-bats or something to get his first ever postseason home run. Um, so I don't see this as being on the front office. And the one year they did win in 2020, as we've been saying, there were no fans in the park during that playoff run. You know what that tells me? That they choke in the October atmosphere. They have players that tighten up and blow it when the lights are at their brightest, when it's most important. The crowd gets loud, even their home crowd, their home team crowd. Home crowd gets loud trying to get them to do well. The opposing team gets loud trying to rattle them, and they can't stand up to it. And so, I mean, I don't see how anybody can argue the Dodgers the biggest disappointment. At least the Braves won two years ago, and they don't have the monkey on their back yet. But as good as they are, they uh, the, the, the monkey's going to be on their back if they don't win next year. If they lose in the first round again next year, then it's definitely a Braves conversation because what is this team doing losing to anybody in the playoffs when you look at how good they are? Um, 
We got uh, any other any other thoughts on the disappointing point disappointments in the division series before we move on to our little fun bonus segment. I want to say the Orioles, despite being the number one seed, are not a disappointment. That's a very young team, fantastic regular season, but I didn't expect them to get do anything in the postseason. I think they outperformed what we expected in the regular season, but again, uh, I can't. Despite their record, I would in no way, shape, or form. I, I, I a little bit of a disappointment because I think getting swept is a disappointment. But I didn't expect them to make any noise in the playoffs, so I don't necessarily consider the Orioles a disappointment. Yeah, I agree. I don't see how anybody could. Um, all right. So uh, before we wrap up, uh, we are one thing the three of us have in common. Um, well, John and Joey have their bullheadedness and stubbornness in common with each other, but not with me. But one other thing the three of us have in common is we are all big wrestling fans. Um, I'm, I've been an on and off wrestling fan. I was a wrestling super fan back when everybody else was in the late '90s. But I've been on and off at different times in my life. I'm currently at an off uh, period because WWE is pretty lame. Um, but uh, we've all have a lot of history, a lot of experience under our belt as wrestling fans. So uh, what John thought we could do today was pick our all-time dream match. We could phrase it as a WrestleMania main event dream match. What is the match that we never saw take place that we wanted, that we really want to see take place, that we would love to see take place, um, but that we will likely never get the chance to? Um, so, uh, Joey, I'll give you a couple minutes to think about this, uh, while John goes. Um, so, uh, John, who's your, what's your, what's your dream match? Oh God, this is so hard for me because I did kind of narrow it down and it's four guys and it's kind of mixed in between. So I'm going to throw one out there now that hopefully at the end we'll get a chance to kind of maybe, uh, give some honorable mentions out there. And I'm going back and forth, and even up to this very second, I'm still debating which of these matches it's going to be. Um, all right, I'm going to go with it. And my... You want another minute? You want me to go first while you take yes, another you minute? Yes, you go first. You go I'll first, go first. That will help me because um, I know you're going to at least have one, if not two of these guys. Yes. Only appropriate the main event podcaster gives his main event WrestleMania match first. Uh, so my dream match. Is, is that how it works? The main event podcaster goes first? Only in the podcasting world does it work. In wrestling, it's the opposite. But in podcasting, it, it does go. The, the best goes first. Um, so my all-time WrestleMania main event dream match is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, uh, taking on your Canadian hero, Bret the Hitman Hart. Um, they are my two favorite. I did my um, starting nine of, wrestler, of wrestlers uh, a couple months ago. You can find that on BleacherBrawls.com. Uh, they were my three and four hitters. Uh, I think I had Bret Hart third and Angle fourth. Um, just picturing the possibilities of that match, you know, they, I mean, they could um, participate in some great mat wrestling with each other, trade off submissions as well as anybody ever. Um, the the way they could pace out the match, uh, you know, work work up to the dramatic spots, the the uh, the big the big spots the heat spots the comeback spots all that stuff um, they're masters of it all 
And I mean, the USA versus Canada rivalry is just built into it. You don't even have to have any build up. Just say, hey, we're going to have these two guys take on each other. And they don't have to have any promos, any tag matches to build up to it or anything. I think the match would have to be in Canada because Kurt Angle was a better heel than he was a good guy. And I mean, USA hating Bret Hart, I mean, can't not be booed in the United States. So I think Kurt Angle versus Bret Hart at WrestleMania in, let's say, Montreal would probably be my all-time WrestleMania dream match with um, Bret going over in the end with the sharpshooter. Thank you, Luke. You made my job. It made it it so much easier for me. That was actually one of the matches I was debating for every single reason you just said. So I'm going to go with the other one that I had another one that I had on my list. And that would be the heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels from San Antonio, where you and me live now taking on the macho man, Randy Savage. Uh, I heard a podcast or interview years ago with Lanny Poffo saying how the Macho Man actually had a whole program laid out, like a year and a half program, where he would build up Shawn Michaels and put him over at a WrestleMania. It sounded fantastic, and it was always a match that I wished I had saw. I know there was a tag team match of Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair versus Bret Hart and Macho Man Randy Savage that I saw on YouTube years ago. But I, we never got a one-on-one pay-per-view match between Shawn Michaels and the Macho Man Randy Savage. And these guys had it all. These guys could put on an absolutely flawless match that you know they, these two meticulously would have put together and seen, envisioned, envisioned uh, the entire match. And then the charisma. They, the, the fact that both of these guys know how to hold the crowd in the palm of their hands, can give amazing promos as a build to the match that uh, Macho Man Randy Savage, Shawn Michaels, main WrestleMania main event would have just would still be talked about as an all-time match. So that for me is my dream match that we never got to see. So is that is it confirmed that that match never happened? Like it, I mean I'd find it hard to believe that they didn't wrestle like at some house show in Biloxi or so. They were both with WWF for a long time at the same time. I would think it happened at some point, but it's not something that we ever saw. At least not that I, other than that tag team match, I don't think I'd ever really seen those two in the ring together. Maybe at a Royal Rumble, but. All right, Joey, this is the podcasting world, so the, the worst goes last. So what's your all, all-time all ultimate WrestleMania dream match? Joey's our leadoff hitter at Bleacher Brawls. I've said it a million times. Let me tell you something, Luke. When you <laughs> – I can't do it. But um, I think you guys had some good picks, some good picks. But if you really want to draw, do you guys believe in drawing? Because I don't think oh, that God, would I'm gonna time. hate this. I know I'm gonna hate this. Either of you. <laughs> I think what we need is a match that would have put butts in the seats, brother. Okay, you know because a little Shawn Michaels flippy action. That's just not gonna work for me, brother. I'm thinking a a John Cena Hulk Hogan match. <laughs> Joey is the so he's the heel. The he, Joey's playing the heel right now. Putting the two biggest heels in in his dream match. John Cena Hulk. What a, what a great way it would have been to retire Hulk Hogan by John Cena pinning him in the ring with the AA attitude adjustment. 
you know, or maybe Hogan goes over. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with the 50 year old Hogan going over. I don't know about you guys. I am. Okay. If it doesn't work for him, you know, sometimes you got to change the finish last minute, brother. That's, that's how we do it. No, I think that would have been a money match. I think it would have been a good way of retiring Hogan because he never got a prior, a proper retirement in the WWE. And I mean, I remember I was a little kid, you know, I would watch wrestling and then I accidentally turned on TNA, which was a mistake, but I turned on TNA and I saw Hulk Hogan running around. I'm like, what is this? Hulk Hogan's still alive around? He's wrestling still? You know, that was a joke. He should have retired with the WWE. He should have had a last match and it should have been with John Felix Anthony Cena. It would have been the Im- uh, Immovable Force versus the, uh, no, what is it? The Unrelenting Force versus the Immovable Object. I think that's the, the thing Irresistible that Force. The Irresistible Force against the Immovable Object. Yeah, I think it would be great. Straight from Gorilla Monsoon. I think it would have been great. I think it would have drawn a lot of uh, drawn a lot of heat. I would have put butts in the seats, and it would have been a master class in and crowd control by John Cena and Hulk Hogan. So I wish that was the match we got. Sorry to blow you guys out like that, but you know I'm only picking winners. I only want to. I want. I want a big draw. I want to sell out. I mean, I mean, Luke wants to put WrestleMania in Montreal. I mean, to talk about a financial advisor. <laughs> what, a, what a terrible financial advisor he is. Well, it would draw it would draw a lot of heat with all of the butts that they put in the seats. <laughs> They'd be like, "This is how you're ending WrestleMania with a with a fireman's carry or a leg drop." <laughs> yeah, Joey. Sorry, I'm not on with you on that one. Uh, that's uh, that's a match I would skip if I were in the arena. That'd be perfect. I'd be like, "All right, let's leave now so we can beat all the traffic on the way out." Because I have no interest in that match. Look, I want to throw out my honorable mentions really quick. It's like Luke said, I had Bret Hart, Kurt Angle. Bret Hart, Randy Savage. Uh, Kurt Angle versus Randy Savage. And think about this one. Stone Cold Steve Austin versus CM Punk. Like, how awesome would that be? Stone Cold, the beer drinking Stone Cold. CM Punk, the obnoxious, sober guy. Like, CM Punk could throw Stone Cold's beers and his Yeti cooler off a bridge. Um, I think that one would actually be a pretty cool uh, feud as well. Unfortunately, Stone Cold has broken down physically and CM Punk has broken down mentally. So <laughs> that match that match will never take place. Well, also, we, we never got Hogan. We, we, we never got Hogan Austin, which that would have been so cool. Because oh, Austin cool wouldn't do it. Austin didn't like Hogan. Well, I'm it's, sorry. I mean, so, you know, someone had to drop the leg and go over. I mean, <laughs> yes. But. Think about that. WrestleMania 18, you had like the the crowd turn and made Hogan a, a baby face again and turn on The Rock. If that had been Hogan Austin in that match, which I thought, you know, not knowing all the backstage like stuff back then, which I thought that one made more sense, um, the crowd never would have rooted for Hogan. They would have been all stone cold and stone cold and Hogan would have stayed a heel uh, had that match taken place. That crowd never would have gotten behind behind Hogan if he had gone up against Stone Cold. They wouldn't have gotten behind him in his 22-inch pythons? I don't know. <laughs> well, um, Joey just sucked all the air out of the arena, unfortunately, with his with his main event. But, uh, we were, we're, but I was happy to hear it. I was happy to have a little wrestling segment there. Maybe we can do that at some point during the offseason. Maybe do a watch-along at some point uh, with this group of three. And did somebody just go deep? No, I think that's a foul ball. Still 2 nothing Rangers in the bottom of the seventh. Have um, you seen that uh, Ted Cruz keeps taking his daughter to, to baseball games? 
No, but I'm not surprised because people go to and watch baseball games and he wants to be seen. If he can yeah, name you- if Ted Cruz can name two Astros, then I will eat my microphone. Yeah, on I, don't, camera. I don't think he's a fan. But <laughs> you know, you know, I would give him tickets to Hogan versus Cena. <laughs> I would give I would drop off all the tickets at Congress like here here guys paper the crowd <laughs> um all right well that's gonna do it for us um that's right uh Pat congratulations we have managed to go long we're at about an hour and 10 minutes now my mission is done uh so enjoy listening to this Pat um after your appellate hearing in the morning thoughts and prayers again i hope everything goes well um make sure you keep tuning in we're down to two shows a week because it's the off season we got the midweek show dropping on wednesdays we got this uh the sunday night monday morning show dropping on mondays um make sure you keep tuning in make sure you subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify wherever you get your podcasts keep checking out bleacherbrawls.com we got some great stuff there uh um not every day anymore. We're taking a bit of a step back uh, for the off season. Uh, let us recharge our batteries a little bit, but we're still putting up uh, two fresh columns per week. And um, so uh, make sure you stick with us. Uh, keep listening. Keep uh, reading. And um, we are going to be here with you all off season, getting ready for the uh, 2024 Major League Baseball season. Um, so uh, we're going to wrap it up now uh, for Joey and for John. This is Luke. Uh, the show doesn't work for me anymore, brother. Uh, so uh, we got to say goodbye. Uh, take it easy, and we'll see you next time. Luke, I'm extra. All right, folks, that's the latest episode of Bleacher Brawls. Thanks for tuning in, for rating us five stars, and leaving us a nice review. And don't forget to check us out on bleacherbrawls.com, on YouTube, and on Twitter.